Amen. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce our guest this morning. Dr. Sam Storms is uh, really is a hero for many of us. Um, over the years, we've read and when we're confused, that's when you go find Sam's articles to get sorted out. And so we're just so thankful that he's here. It really is a joy. Sam, do you want to come for us? You guys give it up for Dr. Sam Storms. Y'all lean in for us. It's going to be good. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all today. It's exciting to worship with you. What a great time that was. Thank you, Seth, and all the team. Um, without any further delay, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to read the opening verses of this chapter, and then we're going to jump into the deep end of a very important topic related to much of what we've been talking about the last two nights on the subject of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, here's what Paul writes. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, we ask your blessing on our time together in your word. Father, I pray Psalm 119, verse 18. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your word. And may it be for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning I want to explore with you a subject that is of absolute central importance to Christianity, apart from which nothing can ever be accomplished of any value in the life of the local church or in your individual lives. It is central. It's not optional. It's not secondary. It is absolutely at the core of what it means to be a Christian. Without it, we are hopeless and helpless. I'm talking about God's supernatural power abiding within us, living in us as Christian men and women. Now, as you probably know, secular humanists and atheists don't believe that there is any such thing as spiritual power. Everything in the universe, according to their way of thinking, can be explained in terms of physical cause and effect. There is no beyond the physical. Every physical effect has a physical cause. But the worldview of the Scripture is profoundly supernatural, above and beyond that which you can see and taste and hear and smell and touch is the world of the Spirit. God himself is Spirit. So the power that we're talking about, the power that Paul mentions in this passage, is the very energy of God himself. I want you to think about the God who has Genesis 1 on his resume. You have that picture in your mind? His power, the energy that emanates from his being that called into existence trillions and trillions of stars and then said to each of them, stay there. That power resides 
in you. Now, this truth catches a little, a lot of Christians a little bit by surprise. They think it sounds a little grandiose, a little bit over the top. And I want to demonstrate to you from the text of Scripture this morning that nothing could be further from the truth. That God not only has this power, He wants to impart it and infuse it within us and calls upon us in Scripture to cry out to Him that He might intensify and expand and deepen and increase the manifestation of this power through us. Folks, if you make any attempt to get up on any particular day and to live out the Christian life or to serve in ministry without drawing upon the power of God himself that has been imparted to you when you came to faith in Jesus, you will fail hopelessly. Consider, for example, Paul's statement in Philippians 3. You all know this passage well, beginning in verse 8. He said, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now listen again. I have counted all things as rubbish in order that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Do you hear that? He said, I have sacrificed reputation, education, status in the community, wealth, prestige, praise of men, that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, when Paul says he wants to know the power of the resurrection of Christ, he's not saying, I want to know how God pulled it off. He's not saying, I want more theoretical understanding of how this power operates, He's not saying I want more arguments that I can use with unbelievers to demonstrate to them that Jesus really did rise from the dead. He said, I want to personally experience this power. That's what no means here. I want to taste it. I want to feel it. I want it to live in the strength that it supplies. He said, I want to know in my own personal life the very power that overcame and reversed the entropy and decay that otherwise the body of Jesus would have suffered. The power that animated that corpse and raised him back to life. Do you want to know that power? Again, he's talking about the ability to feel it operating in his life when he lays his hands on the sick and prays for them to be healed. He wants to feel it as he proclaims the gospel. This is the power of the risen Christ in us. In other words, it's the power of God that will enable you and me to transcend the limitations of our finite existence to do miraculous things for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Now, some people hear this and they think, you're some sort of fanatic, Storms. Well, I I am, but it's a fanaticism based in Scripture. Listen again to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. I pray that the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And then he talks about so that we might know certain things. Listen to what he says. So that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. There's one. That you might know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. There's two. And that you might know 
what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and exalted him above all principalities and powers at the right hand of the majesty on high. Did you hear what Paul said to the Ephesians? What he's praying for. He says, I want you to know and experience power. No, no, that's not what he said. I want you to know and experience the greatness of his power. No, that's actually not what he said. I want you to know and experience the immeasurable greatness of his power toward everybody who believes the very power that he goes on to say, God worked in Jesus when he raised him from the dead and exalted him to his right hand. Isn't it amazing that God wants to impart this power to us? He prays that God would grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know and taste and walk in the fullness of this very power. God wants you to experience it. He wants you to feel it in your life. He wants you to draw upon it as you pray for one another and minister to one another. It doesn't stop there. Two chapters later in Ephesians chapter 3, you know that glorious prayer that begins in verse 14. He says, I pray that God would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, again, track with me here. It's not simply the power that somehow uh, exists outside in the world that holds the stars in place. Paul says this power operates within us. It's in the believer. Listen to that again. You may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's not on the shelf in your living room. It's not in a book you read. It's not in the words of a preacher. It is in your inner being. And if that isn't enough, Paul then turns, closes the prayer with that famous doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Are you beginning to catch the flow of the New Testament? That this power is not this free-floating energy somewhere out there. God designed it to be in us. This is, this is just simply stunning to me. The more and more I read this, that no matter how expansive your prayers may have been up until now, Paul basically is saying they are pathetically small. You need to be praying great, big, expansive, grandiose prayers because you have a great, big, expansive, grandiose God who is working in you to accomplish his purposes. Let me continue. I'm, I'm trying to make this point so where there will be no doubt in your mind. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, and he was explaining to them how he was able to persevere and endure through oppression and opposition, and he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, the energy of God, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the same power of God that lives and operates within you if you know Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, make no mistake, this power is not some sort of, uh, it's not the force of Star Wars. You know, this is not some energy that kind of resides out there. It's simply another way of referring to the Holy Spirit himself. 
The Holy Spirit is this power in us. Now, a problem that um, many of us face is that we struggle to understand how we can have a personal, living, dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. Think about this. When you all walked in here this morning, you saw other individuals. You looked into their face. They looked into yours. You looked into their eyes. They looked into yours. You spoke to them. They spoke to you. You heard them with your ears. You shook their hand. You gave them a hug. It's easy to have a personal relationship with somebody who's embodied. But the Spirit isn't. The Spirit doesn't have a body. You know, we talk about our tri- uh, the Trinity, our great Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, that word Father immediately connotes something that we all know because we all had dads. And so the idea of relating personally to the Father is, is easy. The same with the Son. Of course, especially the Son because he became incarnate, he became a man. Jesus had a body, still does. But how do you hug a spirit? How do you enter into a personal relationship with a, with what seems to be empty space. Now, of course, it's not empty because the Spirit is everywhere. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, a person. Gordon Fee, one of the greatest of the New Testament scholars of our generation, died about a month ago, had one of his students come to him after class. He said, Dr. Fee, he said, the Father I understand, and the Son makes perfectly good sense to me, but the Holy Spirit is a gray oblong blur. How do you relate to a gray oblong blur? Well, let me remind you that the Spirit of God is personal. He's not the divine equivalent of an electrical current. We must not reduce the Spirit of God to some sort of material energy. Think for just a moment about all the personal attributes of somebody that we relate to. In order to be a person, you have to have a You have to be able to think and reason and choose. Do you know the Holy Spirit, though he doesn't have a body, has a mind? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In Romans 8, 27, we read that he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit thinks. The Holy Spirit has feelings, has emotions. <clears throat> Romans 8:26 Paul says the spirit of God groans within us. In Romans 15:30 he feels love. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 we are told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words do not inflict distress and pain upon the spirit through your unrepentant sin. When the Jerusalem council met uh, in the early church to decide what are we going to do with all these gentiles who are coming to faith in Jesus? We read about the conclusion they came to in Acts chapter 15. And it's interesting how James articulates how they came to their decision. He says in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was pleased with the decision to which they had come. The Holy Spirit has a will. You realize that? He he deliberates between options. He makes choices. We read in Acts chapter 16, verse 7, the Holy Spirit did not allow Paul and his companions to enter into Bithynia, but led them to Macedonia. First Corinthians 12, 11, Paul says that spiritual gifts are distributed by the will of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has all the functions of a personal being. He talks. He testifies. He can be sinned against. Jesus 
spoke of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit in Matthew 12. He can be lied to as Ananias and Sapphira did. He can be tested or tempted. You know, in Hebrews 11, it says the Holy Spirit can be insulted. You don't insult an impersonal energy. You only can insult a person. He encourages, he strengthens, he teaches. So the point is this power that Paul and other biblical authors are talking about is none other than the Spirit of God himself with whom we are to enter into a very personal relationship. And I hope you can see from these many texts that this kind of experience is not just an exceptional one-off moment. It is daily. It is routine. It is ordinary. It's not rare. It's not sporadic. It is to characterize your daily life every single moment, every facet of the life of a child of God. When you pray, when you share your faith, when you persevere under oppression, when you resist temptation, when you love your spouse and your children, it is to be done in and through the power of the Spirit who resides within you. Romans fifteen thirteen. I love that brief prayer. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that through the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Holy Spirit doesn't just perform miracles. He enables us to sustain our hope in the fulfillment of all of God's promises. In Colossians 1.11, Paul says it's only when we are strengthened with power that we can endure and remain patient and do it with joy. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 says every resolve for good and every work of faith that you and I accomplish is by means of his power. As if to sum it all up, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The very essence of the reign of Christ in us and over us and in this universe is by means of power. Now, I hope I'm making my point. But here's the good news. This power isn't just an idea that we are to contemplate or a truth that we are to proclaim. We're told in Scripture that God imparts this power to us. It's something he gives to us. Back in Ephesians 1, I pray that God would grant you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, people say, but the spirit already dwells within me. How can he give me something I've already got? Well, he's obviously saying I'm praying that the Father would intensify and expand and deepen and increase your experience of the Spirit who's already in you. Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, he says he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. At the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus is about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Chapter 24, verse 49. And he says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city. And I love this imagery. Until you are clothed with power from on high. The power of God is something that envelops us. It's it's something that is closer to us than even the clothing with which you are now wearing. And then, of course, in Acts 1.8, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Do you know that this very power, the 
presence of the Holy Spirit also energized and enabled Jesus to accomplish all that he did in his ministry? There is a stunning passage in Luke's gospel, chapter 5, verse 17. Listen to it. It says, on one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. So those who opposed him, who were critical of his ministry, or in his presence, they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And then there's this little phrase at the end of the verse. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. How did Jesus heal the sick? It was through the power of the Holy Spirit operating through him. Acts 10.38, Peter is explaining the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And he said, you yourselves know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus was I wish we had time to look at these texts. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus is about to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, and it says he was full of the Spirit. And at the end of the temptation, it says he returned to Jerusalem in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing about this is Jesus could himself impart this power from him into others. You all know the famous story of the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years. And she crawled up through the crowd. The crowd was pressing in on Jesus from all sides. And she said to herself, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, I could be healed. She reaches out and lays hold of it. And Jesus immediately stops. We read in Mark chapter 5, verse 30. Perceiving in himself, he felt something. He felt that power had gone out from him. And he immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And of course, the disciples, probably led by Peter, said, who touched you? Give me a break. Everybody's touching you. It's almost as Jesus said, no, no, no. I know touches and I know this touch. Because when this person touched me in faith, power, this, this sounds really weird. It sounds really odd. I admit it. It's not magic. Jesus said, power went out of me and entered into her. The Holy Spirit was transferable from Jesus to those who touched him in faith. I hope that all that I am saying is serving to reconfigure your worldview that you will no longer view life and all of your actions and activities and within it as something that is simply motivated by physiological reactions. People, we live with the power of the infinite God residing within us to enable us, as I said, to transcend the limitations of our finite existence, to do things for the glory of God. Now, one qualification. I'm not talking about fleshly triumphalism. There are some within the community of faith that we would identify with who believe that the power of God is given to us so that we won't be persecuted or we won't be oppressed or we won't be tempted by the devil or we won't have to suffer through difficult trials and tribulations. That's not what the power of God is designed to do. God's power is designed to enable us to persevere right through the midst of these in never losing our confidence and our faith in Christ. Did you not see that in 1 Corinthians 2, the text we read a moment ago? 
What a stunning confession by the Apostle Paul. You would think, here is this man who had seen the risen Christ, who had operated in spiritual gifts beyond anything that anyone else had. And he said, when I came to you, I came in weakness. Weakness. In fear. I was concerned about how you're going to react to me. You're going to accept me. You're going to reject me. And in much trembling, Paul was shaking in his boots or his sandals, as the case may be. I came to you in weakness and in fear and in trembling, but that was no barrier to the power of God. He said, my speech, I'm not eloquent. There are far greater orators in your community than me, but I came in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So in the midst of his weakness, his fear, and his trembling, he was operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. You remember when uh, when Paul received his thorn in the flesh, which nobody knows what it was, so, you know, there are dozens of theories, whatever it was, and he kept praying that God would remove it from him. And the Lord finally said, no, my grace is sufficient for you for what? My power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul said, oh, I get it. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Don't ever think that your weakness, your normal human frailty, your inabilities, your lack of talents is somehow a barrier to your experience of the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to accomplish Great things for God. Now, let me wrap this up by saying a few words about how this power manifests itself through spiritual gifts. That's been our topic these past few days. It's very interesting. When you read the four Gospels, you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're going to come across this refrain over and over and over again that Jesus performed mighty works. Do you know that in the original Greek text, That is simply the plural of the word power. Jesus performed powers. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, he said, Our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. In fact, the spiritual gift of miracles that's mentioned twice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that word translated miracles is literally the Greek word for power. Galatians 3, 5, Paul asked the believers in that church, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works powers among you, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So it is the power of the Holy Spirit who energizes and animates and enables all of the gifts that he has given us to use to minister to one another for the glory of Christ. Consider one passage that all of you know well, but maybe you don't know it in the sense in which I'm going to explain it. Acts 1-8. We all know it. Day of Pentecost, not just before Pentecost, Jesus is still on the earth, and he's given instructions to his disciples. Remember what he said? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, the way most people have interpreted this is Jesus was saying, when the Spirit comes upon you, he's going to give you power to boldly proclaim the gospel. 
Well, of course, that's true. Don't think that I'm denying that for an instant. But I don't think that's primarily what our Lord had in mind. Here's why. Bear with me. You know that Luke wrote both the gospel that bears his name and the book of Acts. It's kind of a two-volume work by Luke. Twenty-five times in Luke and Acts, he uses the word power. Twenty of those twenty-five times, he talks about the power that God displays through Jesus or through ordinary human beings. Ten times, power is used to describe what God does through Jesus. Eight of those ten refer to signs and wonders and miracles and healings and setting people free from demonic bondage. Ten times Luke uses the word power to describe what God does through people like you and me, average Christians. Nine of those ten explicitly refer to the performance of miracles and healings and deliverances. You know where the tenth occurrence is? Acts 1-8. Now let me just ask you, if in nine other instances where power is described by Luke as what God does through Christians in ministry, why would we think that Acts 1-8 is going to be an exception to the rule? I think what Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us is that when the Spirit comes upon you, as he did on the day of Pentecost, and you're filled with his presence, it's primarily for the purpose for you to operate in the supernatural realm of the gifts which the Spirit of God is going to disperse among you. That totally transforms my perspective on the purpose of the Spirit's presence in our lives. Now, allow me, if I may, to kind of uh, speculate, if I, if I may. Can you imagine a conversation between Jesus and the disciples after they've heard him in Luke 24, 49 say, just wait in the city and you're going to be clothed, enveloped, adorned with power from on high. And I can just see the disciples looking at him saying, Lord, bear with me for a minute. Just slow down. Let me make sure I understand what you're saying. Are you saying that the power of the Holy Spirit that was present with you to heal those people is going to be present in us? The power that by which you restored sight to the blind, it's going to be in us? I can just see Jesus smiling and saying, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Then I can imagine they could push back. Okay, okay, just one more question, Jesus. Just I don't want to bother you, but you remember that day when that lady came up behind you and touched the hem of your garment, and you felt power go out of you and into her, and it healed her instantly? Are you suggesting that that power is going to reside in us? Uh-huh. All right, Lord. I That power by which you cast out demons and restored sight to the blind and raised the dead, the power by which you preached with amazing authority and performed signs and wonders, are you saying that you're going to give us that self-same power? Yep. Jesus would say, yep. Are you beginning to catch the force Testament says about the power that has been imparted to us through the Holy Spirit? Let me bring this to a close by just giving you two quick examples. I've shared these in some of my books, so you may have heard them before, but the power of God in spiritual gifts. Several couple of years ago, it's a Sunday morning, we have two services. And at our first service, one of our elders 
uh, who's very gifted prophetically, came to me. He said, Sam, I have a really strong impression that I want to share. And I said, well, sure, go right ahead. He said, there's a lady here today. Ten days ago, exactly, you visited your doctor because of the affliction that you've been enduring. And the doctor gave you a very bad prognosis. And for some reason, he says, I'm, I'm sensing or hearing the initials SJ. They mean something to you. And you have a young son who suffers from asthma. And if you'll come forward, uh, I want to pray for you because I, I can't uh, guarantee it, but I think the Lord just might heal you and your son. Well, what we later learned was that there was a lady in our church who had not been in the service for several months because of the excruciating pain with which she lived on a daily basis. And when she did come to church, she always came to the second service. She could never get prepared in time to be at the first service. And on this particular morning, the Lord impressed upon her, get up and go to the first service. If she had not obeyed that, she would not have heard the word. She would not have received prayer. She made her way up to the front. She said, you nailed it. Ten days ago, I was at my doctor. He gave me a very bad prognosis. And I happened to look on the medicine. She pulled it out of her purse, and on the medicine prescription bottle, she noticed that his initials were S.J. And she had a six-year-old son who was suffering from asthma, and they went and got him out of the, child, out of the nursery, brought him into the auditorium, and both of them were instantly and permanently healed. That is how the power of the Spirit of God operates in our midst. One other quick example. There's a lady in our church. At the time in which this happened, she was overseeing our children's ministry. Incredibly godly, faithful, devoted to the Lord, but she had never experienced anything of a supernatural nature. And she joined uh, several of our people on a mission trip to Kenya. And on the first night that they were in Kenya, they had all gathered around to process and to plan on what they would do during the course of the week. I wish you could hear her share the testimony. She said, Sam, I don't know how to explain this. She said, you're going to think I'm nuts. But she said, when I closed my eyes, I heard a voice in my head, that internal audible voice, speak the words, Lydia Otieno. She said, I thought, what? I don't, I don't know any. Say it again, Lord. She heard it again, Lydia Otieno. And she said, I'm not sure how to spell that last name, Lord. And she said, and I'm just telling you her testimony. She said, across the inner part of my eyelids, it was like there was a chalkboard and I saw the name O-T-I-E-N-O spelled out. Since she opened her eyes, she's trembling. She asked those present, and especially those who worked in the community where they were ministering, do any of you know a person named Lydia Otieno? I said, no, we've never heard that name. They, they looked on their computers, their database. No one by that name had ever come through that ministry. So um, she just kind of pushed it out of the back of her mind. And she said, maybe I just made it up. Maybe I didn't hear that voice. Maybe I didn't see that name printed out in front of my eyes. Weeks passed. The week passed. No Lydia Otieno. On the final day of their trip, the following Sunday, she walks in 
to the service. And another of our individual, another lady who was on the trip was at the back of the auditorium. And this lady who had this, this word of knowledge, her name was Krista. And this lady cried, Krista, come here. I want you to meet somebody. And standing next to this other lady was this beautiful African American, or African teenage girl about six feet tall. Now Krista is about 4'10". And we actually have a picture of them. We showed it to the congregation when she returned from Kenya. And she said, Krista, I want you to meet Lydia Otieno. And, of course, Krista immediately just broke down in tears. And then she began asking the question, why in the world would God send me around the world to Kenya and show me the name of this woman? And she began to ask this young teenage girl, is there something I can pray for you? Are you, are you facing real challenges right now? She said, no, I'm doing okay, blah, blah, blah. And, and then she asked her, said, do, do you feel the affection of your heavenly father that he really knows you? She said, tears began to fall down her cheeks. She said, not really. And then Krista said, do you realize what God has just done? He has sent this short white lady all the way from Oklahoma City to Kenya and given me your name in a supernatural way so that you would know God knows your name. He sees you. He loves you. He cares for you. And the transformation in that young girl's life was spectacular. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit is designed to do through you. And you may say right now, you know, I identify with Paul in 1 Corinthians 2. I'm no apostle, but when I come to church, I come in weakness. And I'm terrified, and I tremble, thinking that there's no way that I can accomplish anything of value in the lives of the people here. Paul felt the same thing. And yet he said, it was in the midst of that experience of human inadequacy that the power of God's kingdom, the Holy Spirit, was revealed through me as I spoke to you the gospel and ministered in power in your presence. I pray that that will be true of you. You don't ever have to enter this auditorium or go to a small group or to go to an event or come for a worship service so persuaded that your human weakness and trembling and frailty is somehow a barrier to the power of God that can operate through you. Father in heaven, we thank you. We marvel at the way your power operates in and through weak, frail Jars of clay, as Paul calls us in 2 Corinthians 4. Even as he said in 2 Corinthians 12, Lord, we give thanks for our weakness, for in it the power of Christ is made known. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would encourage those who feel inadequate and who feel weak and who feel as if they have nothing to offer and remind them that the very presence of the Spirit of God, the power by which the universe was called into existence out of nothing and continues to be, lives within them. We thank you for this, Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.